So we're launching a new series. It's called Simon Says. I am very, very excited about this series because a couple of reasons. One is we're going we're gonna to explore for the next several weeks through Easter and on to a baptism Sunday. We're going to explore for the next several weeks the life of the man who was the closest to Jesus. Nobody in the world got closer to Jesus than a guy named Simon Peter. Whenever Jesus went anywhere, he always took Simon with him. He wouldn't take everybody, but he always took Simon Peter with him. When Jesus went, for instance, and, and raised a, a man named Jairus' daughter from the dead in a very private moment, a little quiet moment, he brought Simon with him. Sometimes I'll say Peter, sometimes I'll say Simon. We'll get into that in a couple weeks. But, but he always brought Simon with him. When, he's, when, when Jesus was transfigured up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he brought Simon with him. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died, and he was crying out to the Father and saying, let this cup pass from me, he had Simon right there by his side. Anytime you look at a list of disciples or apostles, you're always going to see Simon listed first. It's always going to have Simon Peter first on the list because he was Jesus' closest disciple. He was his right-hand man. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to like explore his life. We're going to look at Jesus through the lens, through the eyes of Simon Peter. And what I love about what the Bible does with Simon is that the Bible does not airbrush Simon's flaws. Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody who like wasn't that great in life? I mean, let's just be honest. They weren't that nice. And, and, but at the funeral, whenever you're presenting the eulogy, you're like, this person was just a nice. Tony was a father of three children. They don't ever say, Tony never paid a dime of child support. They just leave. They totally leave. They totally leave that part out. But with Peter, they don't do that. Like, they don't delete his Instagram post that they should have deleted, right? They just let everything, all his good stuff, all his bad stuff be revealed. That's why we're calling it the imperfect steps of faith because Peter is one of those guys where I just praise God for Peter because the thing about Peter is he's not perfect. Peter messes up sometimes. Peter, Peter does this thing that I think probably you do because I do it and, you know, a lot of us do it. We have moments of great faith. We have moments of great courage. It's usually like right at the beginning of something. Man, we're going to go do this, and yes, it's going to be amazing, right? And then we get in the middle of it, and sometimes our fear overcomes our faith. Sometimes we start to shrivel away from the thing that God has called us to do. Sometimes we have moments where we're full of courage, but then suddenly it seems to go away. And we're suddenly going, uh-oh. What am I going to do? This, and I'll just be honest with you, uh, because it's just us in here. And I'm not actually going to preach today. I'm just going to present, um, uh, present a little bit about the, the, the life of Peter. In fact, this morning at the first service, the people who woke up early, amen, can I get an amen? The first service, when I said, hey, I'm not going to preach today, they actually started clapping. I, didn't, I thought that was totally inappropriate. But, <laughs> but um, so, um, so, so the thing about Peter's life is that he's imperfect. Oh, I was going to tell you this. I... This happens to me when I'm preparing for a sermon. So on Tuesdays, I'm full of faith. I know what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. I can see myself preaching. I know the, you know, and I'm like, man, I'm feeling this is going to be amazing, right? I'm going to bring down the fire. I just, I could just feel it. God, you got, and I've got it in my mind. What it, but then Saturday night, when I'm actually getting ready to show up the next morning, and I'm going, man, people are coming here with 
relationship problems, financial problems, health problems, problems with their kids, problems at their school, difficulties in life, real stuff, real storms, real challenges. And then I start going, oh my God, can I get up there and present something from the word of God that's actually going to be transformative and useful and powerful and encouraging and inspiring? Because I'm like Peter. Sometimes I have great faith and great courage and I'm ready to rock. And then other times it kind of falls away. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but I would assume that for some of you, that's kind of your life. There are moments where you're like, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to do it. I'm starting strong. And then there are other moments where you recede. And here's what we find from Peter's life, because this is him. This, this happens all through his life. No matter how imperfect his faith is, God's grace is continually persistent throughout his life and keeps coming after him even in the midst of his imperfect faith. His grace keeps redeeming Peter and restoring Peter and encouraging Peter and empowering Peter even when Peter messes up. That should be an encouragement to you and to me today because God's grace keeps coming after us even when our faith is imperfect. So what I want to do today is I'm going to spend just a few minutes exploring one of the most famous passages about Peter and the way we're going to do it is I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to circle back to it and sort of break it up into little chunks and kind of explore it together. But let me just read the passage straight through first, and many of you will be familiar with this passage, and it goes like this. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he's got the crowd, and I'm, I'm going to try not to give commentary. I'm going to try to read straight through it, but I just want to say this one thing. He's got all these, he's probably got 10, 15,000 people that had gathered around to hear him speak. So he's like, I'm getting rid of you guys, disciples, I'm getting rid of you guys, you guys go across the lake, I'm just going to get some alone time. After he had dismissed them, it says he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat that the disciples were in was already a considerable distance from the land, maybe three or four miles from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus is on a mountainside. He sent his disciples in a boat. The, the, the disciples are off in a boat, and they headed straight into a storm. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried. And, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, Peter has to throw in a little extra because Peter always does this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, Jesus said. Why'd you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Today, I am titling this talk, not this sermon, I'm not preaching today, I'm just talking for a minute. Keeping your faith in the face of a storm. Keeping your faith in the face of a storm. I don't know if you've had this experience. My experience is when I'm not in a storm... It's easy to have faith. When my life is calm, I have faith. 
It's when there's a storm that arises in my life. That's when it becomes difficult for me to have faith. Right? The fact is this. It's easy to have faith when you need it least. It's hard to have faith when you need it the most. Come on, somebody. It's easy to have faith when the relationship is smooth. And you're calling her baby, and she's calling you boo, and everybody's happy. And you're texting little emoticons to one another. And everything is sweet, right? It's easy to have faith in that moment. It's hard to have faith when the relationship is rocky. It's easy to have faith when the income exceeds the expense. And you got a little bit stored away. That's an easy time to have faith because you don't feel like you need it. It's hard to have faith when they're downsizing at work or when the investment went upside down or when the mortgage isn't getting paid. It's hard to have faith in that moment. It's easy to have faith when the college accepts you and gives you some grant money and gives you a scholarship and suddenly you're sailing. It's hard to have faith the night before the test that will determine whether or not you get to stay in school. It's easy to have faith when you need it the least. It's hard to have faith when you need it the most. And we're talking about keeping faith in the face of a storm. So I want to take some moments here because the disciples, and especially Peter, are in the midst of a storm. So let me, let me dive into this just for a couple minutes here. It says this. Remember the very first passage. It said, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. Now just hold on to that idea for just a minute. He didn't give the disciples a choice. The disciples didn't volunteer. It was a, it was a command by Jesus, get into the boat and go into the Sea of Galilee. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now get this picture. This is a picture of Jesus sending his disciples into a storm. In our lives, we all experience storms, but not all storms are the same. There are a few different kinds of storms that you're going to experience in life, and many of you have already experienced them, and many of you are in the middle of them right now. One kind of storm that you're going to experience is what I call a self-inflicted storm. This is a storm that results from your own turbulence, from your own chaos, from the decisions that you've made that are bringing havoc upon you and wrecking chaos in your life. Everybody's super quiet right now. This, nobody, this does not apply to anybody here. Nobody's ever brought any storms on their life, right? When you give your number to the guy your mama told you not to give your number to, then you invited a storm into your life. When you apply for the credit card with a double-digit interest rate, you've just invited a storm into your life. When you've bit off more than you can chew, you've invited a storm into your life. Whenever you defy God in any area of your life, you will experience storms. That's what will happen. It's just the law of spiritual nature. You will invite storms into your life when you live in rebellion and defiance and anger and, and all that business. You will invite storms into your life. That's a that's a me storm. That's a self-inflicted storm. Everybody point to yourself say, that's my storm. That's my storm, right? Then there's a other people storm. Other people storm. That's the storm that happens to you because of the turbulence and the chaos in somebody else's life. <laughs> Some of you are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
The thing is, we can't, we, we have no control over those kind of storms when we're little kids because we're just around who we're around. We don't have, we don't drive. We don't, we can't get away from that kind of storm. But when you become an adult, it becomes incumbent upon you to not keep putting yourself in situations where other people's chaos keeps raining on your parade. When other people's turbulence keeps impacting you, at a certain point you go, okay, look, I cannot keep walking into your storm. Because if you keep walking into that storm, eventually that storm is a self-inflicted storm. Because you have the choice not to, not to stay in that storm. All right? So that's a, that's a other people's storm. So you got this storm, you got that storm, and then you got that storm. That's a Satan storm. That's a devil storm. That's when the accuser of your soul, the enemy of your soul, comes and tempts you and tries to deceive you and tries to accuse you. This is the kind of storm that you experience in your mind when you hear the voice in your mind say that you are not who God says you are. When you start believing things about yourself that are not reflected by the, by the scriptures and are not reflected when Jesus says you're a masterpiece and you feel like you're a horrible failure, there's a conflict there that's because the accuser of your soul is introducing a storm into your mind. That's a Satan storm. But then every once in a while, like the disciples in this moment, you experience a God storm. A God storm is a storm that God allows you to experience in order to develop something within you. He allows you to experience something that's going to be difficult so that you can develop the faith to transcend the storm. So that you can develop the courage to come through the storm. Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. Now, why would he do that? When I was a little kid, I played, uh, I played on a team called, a football team, peewee football team, called Lancaster Gales. We were in Lancaster, Ohio. We were little kids. It was not a good team. I was not a good football player. I had a very short football career, very short football career and very short football career. So it was not a, not a, not a thing for me. But and and our, our team was called the Lancaster Gales, which really just ties in so nicely because it's like a tornado. But that was, you know, sheerly accidental. But we're, I'm on this team, and I remember that when we, were, when we would start off the season, they would start with running drills, like really easy drills. You go run some laps. Maybe you run a few sprints. You throw the ball around. Nobody's dressed out. You have no pads on. You're just, nobody's no contact. You're just, you're just messing around. But then as the season got a little you know, closer to the opening game, now you're putting pads on, now you're getting a little more intense. Now you're starting to run some drills and people are knocking into each other. People are starting to tackle each other and things are starting to get a little tougher, right? And then about three weeks before the opening game, they had what they called a scrimmage game. Scrimmage game is everybody's fully dressed out, everybody's going full speed. It doesn't count for your record, but what it is, it's an opportunity for you to develop the strengths and the abilities that you're going to need when you start opening day it's a it's a scrimmage game for you to develop what skills you need because in a in a few days in a few weeks you're going to go full on full contact with somebody else it's a scrimmage game jesus in, in in this passage is coming out of a moment in his life where he is starting to think about what his disciples are going to go through in a couple years you see right before this moment happened just before this passage, if you go in your Bible to Matthew 14 this afternoon over lunch, what you're going to find is right before this storm, Jesus' cousin and dear friend, John the Baptist, had his head cut off, was executed by Herod. 
And his head was put on a silver platter and he was paraded around in a drunken party. And Jesus hears, hears this news. That's actually why he wanted to get rid of everybody. He needed some alone time with God. He needed some time to sort of think through this and pray through this. And now what he's recognizing is these disciples of mine, they're getting ready to experience some stuff that they've never experienced. They're going to get some, some hardships coming at them. There's going to be some, some torment coming their way. There's going to be some difficulties coming their way. And I'm not always going to be there to help them through it personally, physically, in the flesh. So I need them to start developing some skills and some abilities. I'm going to run them out into a scrimmage so that they can develop some faith, so that they can develop some ability, so that they can test their strength, so that they can figure out what they need to figure out in order to withstand some storms. Jesus' brother James actually put it like this. He said, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face hardships of many kinds, because it is the testing of your faith that will produce perseverance inside of you. And you let that perseverance take full effect so that you will become complete, lacking in nothing. Sometimes God allows you to experience some storms, not because he doesn't like you, not because he's sadistic, but he wants to develop something in you that will allow you to walk out even greater storms down the road, to fulfill a purpose that he has for you down the road, to fulfill a calling that he has for you down the road, and he wants to, he wants to develop that perseverance. He wants to develop that courage. He wants to develop that faith. He wants to develop that strength. Today, if you're in the middle of a storm, the thing to... You, you don't always have to say, God, end the storm. You can sometimes say, God, show me what you want to show me in the midst of this storm. Turn me into something that you want to turn me into in the middle of this storm. Make me into the person you want me to become because of the storm. Because here's what you find out about Jesus. He never leaves you alone in the storm. The next line says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. He sent them out into the storm, and now he comes out to them, it says, walking on the lake. But here's the problem. Sometimes it's hard to recognize God when you're in the middle of a storm. Sometimes the chaos of the storm so distracts you that when God shows up, you don't recognize him. And sometimes... The storm has got you so trapped that you're afraid of the storm and you're afraid of the solution. You're afraid of the circumstance that you're in, but you're also afraid of the solution that would get you out of the circumstance. When, I was, when we were thinking about and praying about planting U City Family Church, you know, I'm, I, I got to tell you, I'm really not like Peter. I wish I was more like Peter. I'm more like Thomas. I'm more like... Peter is always like, let's go, Lord, let's just do it, whatever you want. And I'm always like, well, let's, let's hold on. I want to see the nail prints before I'm really ready to put my toe in the water, right? But, but when we were getting ready to launch U City Family Church, uh, don't, don't dislike me because I'm like Thomas. I mean, we're, you're, you're probably like somebody, you know. I feel you <laughs> judging me right now. It's so not cool. Um, but, but when we were getting ready to plant U City Family Church, I knew that God was calling me out into this, this lake. And yet, I was in a pretty good boat. I had a pretty good boat. I had a good job. I had a good house, good wife, good kids. You know, and, but, I, I'm, but, but it was a storm because in my heart, I knew that God was calling me out to it. In fact, sometimes I would be driving to work, and there would be so much, 
there would be so much wind and rain in my mind, I would actually drive right past my exit. I'd be over in Illinois. Uh, you know, I'd be driving through Illinois, the, the fields of Illinois going, shoot, I missed my exit. And I had to turn all the way back around and go to my office. Um, and, 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 but I knew, that, I knew that I shouldn't stay in the storm, but I was also afraid of the solution. Because he was calling me into something that I was a little terrified to get into, right? And, and, and it's hard sometimes to recognize God in the middle of that storm. Because, you know, the storm is scary, but the solution might also be scary. So here's what happens. They see Jesus walking towards them on the water. And it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they didn't recognize him. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. They were actually more afraid of the solution than they were of the situation. You don't even actually see them. You don't see the scripture saying that they were afraid in the storm. Not not in this storm. I mean, they might have been. It just doesn't say they were. But suddenly, when they saw Jesus, they were afraid. Jesus then says to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus is always going to meet you in the middle of your storm. He's always going to be there in the middle of your storm. He's always going to say, and he always says the same thing, Don't be afraid. He says the same thing. If you want to find the most, the most common command in the Bible, more than anything else, don't be afraid. It's said over and over and over, fear not, don't be afraid. Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid. And then here's what I love. Here we, here, here we go. Here, here comes Simon, because Simon's got to go. Simon's got to push the envelope a little bit. He says this, Lord, if it's you, replied Peter, tell me to come out on the water. To me, as I, I've read this passage a hundred times this week, in all different translations, commentaries in the Greek, all that, this is the craziest thing that you could possibly say. I mean, this is the opposite of what I would say. Because if it were me, I would say, Jesus, if it's you, stop the storm. If it's you, fix the relationship. If it's you, wipe out the debt. If it's you, get me into the school. If it's you, heal the disease. I would not say, Jesus, if it's you, call me out into a more dangerous situation than I'm already in. Lord, make it worse for me. Bring the rain, Lord. I would not do that. That's not what I would do. But Peter says, God, Jesus, if it's you, call me out onto the water. Now, there's a logical problem with Peter's request, too. And at some point, I'm going to figure this out. It might take a couple years. So if you keep coming, I'm going I'm to eventually tell you about this. But, but one of the problems that I, I kept reading it over and over, because he says, Jesus, if it's you, call me out onto the water. And I'm thinking, okay, but what if it was the devil out on the water? Because what would the devil say? Come on, Peter. Come on, man. It's me, Jesus. Come on. And Peter was like, you know. So Peter is not always using the greatest wisdom, but he's got a lot of courage. He's got a lot of faith because because he's saying this. He's saying, look, I I, want to go a little further. I want to stretch it out a little further. Here's what Peter's saying, and and don't don't get on to me because of the grammar, okay? I know this isn't grammatically correct, but here's, here's what Peter's saying. You don't know what your faith is made of until you face what you're afraid of. I know you don't end a sentence with a preposition. I know that. All right. So just cool it. All right. But, but here's, here's what Peter is saying. He is saying, I, I'm, this is something I'm afraid of. Think about this. More than anybody else, maybe James and John and maybe Andrew kind of had a sense of it, but more than any of the other disciples, 
Peter knew what happens when you step out of a boat in the Sea of Galilee. He had a fishing business all his life. His dad had a fishing business. He's been out on the Sea of Galilee since he was this tall. Sea of Galilee is 140 feet deep. It's 8 miles wide. It's 13 miles long. When you step out of a boat in the Sea of Galilee, you go down to the bottom of the lake. Peter knows this better than anybody. And here's one other thing. I cheated this week and looked back a few scriptures. This isn't the first storm that Peter was in with Jesus. Peter has been in a, in a storm with Jesus before on the Sea of Galilee. Last time, Jesus was in the bottom of the boat taking a nap. Remember? And all of the disciples were in the boat, and there was a storm, and the waves were crashing, and they thought they were going to drown, and Jesus was in the bottom. And they are all freaking out, and they're going, wake up, Jesus, you've got to save us. And if you remember that story in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus gets up and he goes, you have little faith, what's the matter with you? Peace be still. Boom, the storm ends right? Peter's like, I don't want that to happen again. Like, I don't want to be called ye of little faith. I'm Simon Peter, and I know if I say, God, stop the storm, I know what he's going to say. You have little faith. Bam, storm's gone. So he says, look, I'm going to try, I'm going to stretch this out a little bit. I'm going to try just a little bit harder. I'm going to go for something that I'm not sure I can accomplish because I trust you. I don't trust myself, I don't trust the water, I don't trust the wind, I don't trust the rain, I actually trust the boat pretty, pretty, pretty well, but I'm going to try something that I don't know if I can accomplish. I'm going to push it just a little bit further, Jesus. I'm going to step out in faith, and i got to tell you, this is what I admire about Peter. I think this is what Jesus admires about Peter. This is something that all of us should admire about Peter. Sometimes God is calling us just to stretch it out a little bit further because you don't know what your faith is made of until you face what you're afraid of. Until you say, all right, I'm actually going to face that thing that I'm, that I'm really afraid of. I'm actually going to step out a little bit. I'm going to try something that I haven't tried before. I'm going to go for something that I haven't go gone for before. And if I fail, Jesus is right there. Right? Jesus is there. So he says, Jesus, tell me to come out onto the water. And Jesus obliges. Jesus says, come on, Peter. Come. Then it says this. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. If it were me, I would invite the band up at this point and say, that's how the story ends. Peter had faith. Jesus invited him out onto the water. He stepped out onto the water, and he walked on the water. And if you have faith... You'll walk on water too. Amen. We're having communion. We're having offering. We're doing prayer, right? I mean, that would be the end of the service because I like the way it ends there. The miracle is working. Peter has faith and it works. He says, God, call me out on the water. Come out on the water, Peter. Okay. Peter comes out on the water and he's walking on the water. Think about that. One, I don't, what did it feel like? Did it feel like sand? Did it feel like stone? Did it feel like glass? Did it feel like water? What did it feel like? He's walking on faith. He's walking on faith. And I love that. For me, that's a good ending. But for some reason, Matthew keeps writing. It says this. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Now, here's the phrase that 
that captures my attention. It says, when he saw the wind. I think, okay, Peter wasn't blind up until this moment, okay? He had already seen the wind. He saw the wind at about midnight when he was out rowing in the boat. He saw the wind at 1 in the morning. He saw the wind at 2 in the morning. He saw the rain and the waves and the wind and the storm at 3 in the morning. He saw the wind when Jesus was walking out onto, uh, to, onto the water. He saw the wind when he told Jesus, call me out onto the water. He saw the wind when he stepped out on the water. So why does it say he saw the wind? Because he had been seeing the wind the whole time. But the, but the reality of what the, the scripture is saying here is it's not a question of vision, it's a question of focus. He saw the wind the whole time, but he wasn't focused on it. He was focused on faith. He was focused on God. He was focused on that which would sustain him. The strength of your faith depends upon the object of your focus. You are going to face storms. I am going to face storms. The way we navigate through the storm is entirely dependent upon what we focus our heart and our mind upon in the middle of the storm. Are we going to focus upon the circumstance or are we going to focus upon the Savior? Are we going to focus upon the fear or are we going to focus upon the faithfulness of God? David didn't not notice how big Goliath was. It wasn't that he couldn't see it. It's that he knew how big his God was. And so what he decided is, oh yeah, I got that, but I'm going to focus on this. Daniel wasn't entirely un unable to understand how powerful the jaws of a lion are, but he didn't focus on the jaws of the lion. He focused on the power of the Lord. Joseph could have focused on the dungeon, but he focused on his destiny. What are you looking at in the middle of your storm? What are you focused on in the middle of your storm? Because faith is really a matter of focus. Are you going to focus on the problem or are you going to focus on the solution? If you focus on the solution, your heart is filled with faith. Your heart is filled with strength. Your heart is filled with courage. And like David, you go, yeah, I know it's a giant, but do you guys know the God that we serve? Hello. You remember? Right? So the question is, not is the storm big, but is God big? It's a matter of perspective. What are you looking at in the middle of your storm? Because that is what causes you to either have faith or have fear. Whatever it is that you look upon is going to determine what you're going to experience. Are you going to focus on that which causes you fear? Or are you going to focus on that which causes you faith? So here's what happens. Come, he said, he gets in the water. Wind, bang, he starts to go down. Then it says this. Even though Peter's going down, he's going down in the water, he's getting underwater, he's getting wet. It says this. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Two things here. One is, Jesus is still going to catch you even if your doubt is there, okay? Even if your fear is there. He's right there. He's still got you. Your, your life, your, your walk is not entirely contingent on, on the perfection of your faith. It's on the persistence of his grace, all right? So, so you don't have to be like, well, if I just navigate my brain exactly right with faith, then I'll be okay. If you lose faith, he hasn't lost faith in you. He's still faithful when you are not. 
He still comes after you when you forget. When you're focused on your stuff that's in the way, he's still focused on you. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus says, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Now, when I first read this, I'm like, why would he call Peter, you of little faith? Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to get out of the boat. It takes a lot of faith to step out like that. None of the other disciples did that. He's not calling them names. Why is he calling Peter names? Why is he saying you of little faith, Peter? That's exactly what Peter didn't want him to say, remember? That's why he came out of the boat in the first place, right? So why is Jesus saying you of little faith? Because he's not talking about the moment that Peter stepped out of the boat. If Jesus had said anything at that point, I think he would have said, Peter, great faith, man, way to go. But now that Peter has you know, falling in the water, he says, you have little faith. So I started looking at this. I'm trying to understand why is he talking about, and here's what he's doing. He's not talking about the amount of Peter's faith. He's talking about the duration of Peter's faith. Because Peter had great faith for a moment, for about three steps. I got it. I got it. Oh, no. Right. He had amazing faith for a short time. So the faith is not about the bigness, it's about the duration. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, look, you can have faith as little as a little tiny grain of a mustard seed. You know the story. It's a little mustard seed. And you can say to this mountain, be thou removed, and it will be thrown into the sea. It's not about the grandness of your faith. It's about the duration of your faith. He says, I want you to keep the faith in the face of the storm. Keep the faith in the face of the storm. Keep looking at me. Keep following me. Keep seeking me. It's not that you're not going to experience storms. You're going to experience them. But just keep the faith in the face of the storm. He loses faith in the middle of his miracle. Some of you don't know it right now. You're in the middle of a miracle. You're in the middle of a miracle. A miracle that started a long time ago. A miracle that's not going to be over for a long time from now. And right now, all you're looking at is the storm. That's all you're seeing is the storm. Jesus is going, hey, I want you to have faith in the face of the storm. Because I'm working something out right now. I'm working out a miracle in your life right now. I haven't accomplished it yet. I, you haven't seen it yet. But it's, it's in progress. That's the way Jesus works. I don't know if you remember this, but there's this one story about this guy who was killed and buried. Buried in a tomb. If you, if you stop in the middle of that story, that's not a good story. He's kind of an important guy. I'll give you a hint. I'll do a trivial pursuit. Kind of important in the New Testament. His name begins with J. He was killed. And if you stop right there on Saturday, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like a miracle. That doesn't seem like a miracle. Right? But the story's not over. Your story's not over. Because what he does is, when you go down, when you slip into the, into the sea, he grabs you by the hand, he pulls you back up. When he takes you down into the tomb, it's not forever, he brings you back up. You might be in the middle of a storm right now, you might not even know how it's going to work out, you might not be able to conceive of how it's going to work out, but you're in the middle of a miracle right now. That's the way he operates. So he's saying, keep the faith in the face of the storm. Where is he calling you to keep faith right now? What storm 
are you experiencing in your life right now? And he's going, hey, keep the faith in the, in the face of that because I'm still with you. I'm still with you. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I know you've forgotten me. I know you're not thinking of me. That's okay. I'm thinking of you. I got you. I'm still with you. Keep the faith in the face of the storm. You know, and the way the story ends so beautiful, he takes Peter by the hand and he walks him back over to the boat and he gets in and the scripture says, and then the sea became calm. The sea didn't become calm until after they got back in the boat. Why, why did he do it that way? Why didn't he just make the sea calm? Ah, oh, Peter, he's already underwater. He's freaking out. Shh, I'm going to calm it down, right? But I think what he wants to do is, I think he wants to walk Peter back to the boat in the storm. Because I think he wants him to, ex I don't think he wants the last taste in his mouth to be the taste of failure. You know? Like, if you have a kid and you're teaching him to ride a bike, you never end the session when the kid wipes out on the sidewalk. You go, all right, let, let me get you back on the bike. Even if I'm going to hold the, the thing, you know, the seat, right? Because I don't want the story to end with you wiping out. I think he says, hey, Peter, I still got you, man. I still got you. I know you lost faith, but I still got you. I know your faith is imperfect, but my grace is persistent. And I've got things for you to do. And over the next several weeks, we're going to see what Jesus does in Peter's life. He just keeps taking him further and further and further and perfecting him and maturing him and strengthening him and fortifying him and encouraging him even in the midst of his imperfect faith let's pray together father i pray right now that you would speak into the hearts of every person here bring courage hope strength faith into our hearts even when we're facing storms especially when we're facing storms Help us to know that you are with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And that our relationship with you is not contingent upon our perfect faith, but upon your persistent grace that keeps pursuing us even in the midst of our storms, even in the midst of our flaws and our foibles and our blunders, our weaknesses and our storms. God, I pray that you would speak directly into the heart of every person here, transform them by the power of your grace Give them strength. Give them courage. Fill them with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to become a people of courageous faith, bold faith, stepping out, doing things that we don't believe, we don't even know if we can do, but we trust in you. We believe in you. Give us your strength. Father, we pray this in your precious name to your glory. And everybody said, amen, amen.